You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church, Salt Lake City. For more information on our church, go to c3saltlakecity.com. Hey, Salt Lake City, it is great to be with you. Well, at least up here on the big screen. Just so love the great worship and just the great things that are happening. Lilo, you look so handsome today, as does Pastor Vince and Becca and the extraordinary team there. We just love you guys. Wish I could be there personally, but I know that's coming up real soon. Hey, we've just started a brand new series called Family-ish, dealing with family issues. And uh, believe it or not, God created man because he wanted a family. And uh, you don't have to read very far into the Bible to see that God immediately began to have some family ish, some family issues with Adam and Eve disobeying and everything else. Uh, Today we're going to come to Luke chapter 15. So come with me in your Bibles, Luke 15. We're going to read a beautiful story that Jesus tells that talks about the stress, the pain, sometimes the struggle of family, but even God's heart towards family. So Luke 15, it's the parable of the lost son. And it says, then he said, Jesus speaking, A certain man had two sons. The younger of the two said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a famine in that land. And he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. He would gladly have filled his stomach with some of the pods that the swine ate, but nobody gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And here am I perishing with hunger. I know what I'll do. I will arise. I will go to my father and I'll say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran on him, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry." Now, we're not going to read the rest of the story, but we know he's got another son, an an older son, who's this young man's brother, who when he hears the music and hears the celebration becomes indignant and, uh, and complains. And that's a religious spirit, which we never want to get. And, uh, but today I want to talk to you about uh, the, the lost son. What, what a magnificent story this is. Uh, the young son takes his, his father's inheritance. So literally, there's a little bit of tension here because for him to do that, you don't receive an inheritance till somebody dies. So he's saying, Dad, as far as I'm concerned, you're already dead to me. I don't want your leadership. I don't want your influence. I don't want your voice in my life. In fact, I'm cutting you off. 
This was so disrespectful. When Jesus was sharing this, the audience would have just immediately felt the angst and the anger and the animosity towards the young son because this is the height of disrespectful. The two first two letters of the Hebrew alphabet are the letters Aleph and the letter Beit. Aleph, Beit. Aleph is translated in English today as the letter A and Beit, obviously the letter B. AB is the word for father. Now it's interesting because both of those letters actually have a picture attached to them. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet and each letter has a symbol or a picture. The letter for Aleph is, is an ox or strength. The letter B, Beit, is house, like Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Beth Avon. So Beit, Bet is house, and Aleph is ox or strength. The father is the strength or the ox of the house. I think a few years ago, Pope John Paul II said, as it goes with the, the father, or as it goes with the family, so goes the nation. He was actually quoting Aristotle, who said, as it goes with the family, so goes the nation. The entire Roman Empire was built and founded upon the family unit, having family central. It was only in its latter years as under continue, continual pressure that they finally yielded and succumbed and began to pull down boundaries and uh, all kinds of perversion began to, to break out and the family unit began to break down and it literally signaled the death of Rome. It literally put a, the writing on the wall that the Roman Empire was now in its demise and that's exactly what happened. So we see that family is, is the heart of God. Today, the father, 91% uh, of prison inmates come from father absent households. When a father is not there, there's no covering in the home. There's no strength in the home. There's no protection in the home. Isn't it interesting that when God wanted to, to start a family again in the earth through his redemption process, he uses a man called Avram. Avram literally means exalted father or father that is exalted, which is a picture of God who's our exalted father. And God brings the entire Jewish nation and then us out of Abraham. We're all sons of Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them. So are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right arm left. And so you know the song. So, uh, so Father Abraham. So here is a story where Jesus is telling, and you can imagine people being incensed, people being enraged when they hear the utter disrespect that this son has for the father. Dad, as far as I'm concerned, you're dead to me. Jesus is describing literally the, the, the two covenants that are going on. He's describing the older covenant, the, the Jewish people that had so come under the law that they lost the father and they'd lost the values of the father because they'd become so legalistic and religious. And then the, the young son, the second son, the, the, the Gentiles, the people who have just rebelled and gone their own way and they're away from God. What's interesting is that this young man goes and he spends all. There was a James Bond movie a few years ago called The World Is Not Enough. And it's true. If you're looking in the world for satisfaction, the world will never be enough. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that God opens his hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. Everything that you and I have that fulfills and satisfies comes from the hand of God. 
The world is never enough. The world was never created to be all that you needed. The world was created as a garden for you and I to, to eat from and uh, 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 beautiful venue for you and I to walk with God. But all provision and all blessing comes from the hand of God, comes from the goodness of God. So the Bible says there arose a famine in that land. He'd run out of money and nobody gave him anything. So he joined himself to a citizen of that country who sent him into the field to feed swine. So Jesus just lifts the incense level to a whole nother. I mean, pig flesh all the way through the Old Testament is seen as an abomination. In fact, the Jews looked down and despised the Gentiles an identify, identification of the Gentiles' uncleanness is repeated all the way through the Old Testament as those who eat the flesh of pigs, those who eat pig flesh. And here, the, the story says that the son is sent into the field to feed swine. It's amazing that when people become spiritually destitute, when their soul becomes so hungry, it's amazing, we'll even go out and feed what is unclean, hoping that that will satisfy, but feeding what was unclean, whether it's pornography or drugs or loose living, will never satisfy you. And the Bible says there, he began to long for even the slop that the pigs ate and nobody gave him anything. But then the Bible says that he has a moment. And the Bible says that as he looked into the pig slop, he came to himself and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare and here am I, perishing with hunger. I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my father and I'll say, my father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he picked everything up and he went home. Let me just pause there for a second. We've got four kids and one of my kids was going through an identity crisis and got himself into a little bit of trouble. And, uh, when he got into trouble, he found himself sitting alone and sitting isolated and was sitting in a cell in a juvenile detention center. And God spoke to me so clearly and he said, you actually have to rescue your son. I want you to go and read the story of the prodigal son. So I said, okay, God, I, I got you here, but I don't need to read it. I've read it a thousand times. I've probably preached on it a thousand times. And God says, no, I want you to read it because I want to show you something you've never seen before. And I said, God, this pretty much uh, nothing that I haven't seen before. And the Holy Spirit said to me a third time, read it. I want to show you something you've never seen. So again, a little bit of a stubborn attitude in my head. I'm like, God, you ain't going to show me nothing I ain't seen before. I've read every single verse. I've extracted every nutrient out of every verse. I've preached on it a thousand times. As I'm reading it, the Holy Spirit showed me that when the son looked into the pig slop, the pig slop became a mirror. And the pig slop became a mirror because it immediately reset his worth. His statement when he looked into the pig slop, the pig slop was the penultimate of his choices. His rebellion and his decisions had led him to the place where the dishonoring of his father, the rebellion, the, the lustful licentious living, had brought him to a place where he's feeding pigs and hungering and lusting after pig slop. And as he looks into the pig slop, he realizes, man, I am this pig slop. I am vile. I am unworthy. I'm not worthy to be my father's son. And God spoke to me and he said to me, you cannot let your son's choices 
his rebellion, the bars, the bed, when to wake up, when the uniform that he has to wear in there, the gavel that came down, the sentence of the judge, the voices of the attorneys around about him. You cannot let, let those voices be the voices that shape his self-worth. You as the father must go and rescue your boy and you have to rescue him, not by breaking into the, the, the center, but when he comes out, the first thing you have to do is reset his value. This is what the father does. Because remember, the son comes back and he, and he gets on his knees and he says to the father, exactly that vow, I'm not worthy to be your son. I'm not worthy to be your son. And if you read the story, the father never responds. The father never engages on that level, doesn't interact, doesn't even entertain the thought that you're not worthy. The father doesn't say, yeah, you're right, man, where's my money? I bet there's nothing left. Doesn't rub his face in his mistakes. The father immediately does something. He begins to restore four areas in this young man's life. And I wanna tell you today, the good news is that God the Father sent his only begotten son into the world to make a trade because the father had lost his children. Our heavenly father had lost his sons and daughters. So God sent his son into the world because you know, you can't reap what you don't sow. God wanted to reap family, so he sowed family. God wanted to reap children, so he sowed a child. God wanted to reap sons, so he sowed a son. So God sends Jesus into the earth so that you and I can come. But when we come to God, you need to understand we can come to God so aware of our transgressions, so aware of the things that we've done that we shouldn't have done and, and all of our lifestyle choices. God wants to do four things in your life. And I wanna show you those four things today. They're so powerful. They're gonna change your life. But one thing before we get there, I want you to notice that the father ran towards the son. The Bible says when the father saw him a long way off, you know, I, I don't know, but when somebody goes away, they can grow a beard, their hair might, may have been unkempt or cut or whatever, their clothing different. It's been a number of years. The father wasn't 100% sure when he started running. I wonder how many times he ran only to find that it wasn't his son, turned around and went back. But on this one, as he began to run, or run towards his son, it was his son. Some people say that in the Jewish culture, it is a dishonor for an old man to run. But here he is running. I heard a preacher recently say that the reason he was running was to get to the son before the villagers got to him. Because to dishonor your father in that way, that young man would have been ostracized and driven out of the village or perhaps stoned by the elders of the village. And the father was literally running to rescue him. I want you to know today that God is running towards you. God's grace is running towards you. God's mercy is running towards you. God's salvation is running towards you. God's heart is running towards you. His hands, his, his affection is running towards you. He's not sitting up there with his arms folded saying, when they get here, I'll take my shoe off. He is running towards you. So the son falls down. Father, I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The father, the Bible says, calls for his servants. Number one, bring out the best robe and put it on him. He doesn't just say, hey, let's get these filthy pig slop clothes off him. 
He doesn't say, hey, let's get these stained garments off him. What have we got there? He doesn't just put a robe on him. Watch this. He put, says, let's put the best robe on him. I want you to know that when Jesus died on the cross, he took our robes of unrighteousness. He took our robes of sin. He took our sin-stayed garment. He took all of our sin upon himself and he gave us his righteousness. The Bible says that we are dressed in robes of righteousness. There was no higher righteousness. There was no one that served his heavenly father greater than Jesus Christ. There is no account in heaven higher. There is no ledger that has somebody above the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You and I, because of what God has done, God has put on us the greatest robe. He has put the best robe. He has put the hot. We don't have the righteousness of a good man. We don't have the righteousness of a Solomon. We have the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become, watch this, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He didn't just make you and I a righteous man. You and I literally carry the righteousness of God and it is put on us. Did the son deserve it? Absolutely not. Did the son earn it? Absolutely not. Did the son get given soap and detergent and go and scrub? Absolutely not. The filth stained garments were taken from him and the best robe was put on him. Was he worthy? Absolutely not. You and I were not worthy, but because of everything that Jesus did on the cross, our heavenly father was able to take our sin stained clothes off us and put the best robe on us so that we are restored to family, but not just restored to family, but restored to honor. I just want to know today, are you living? Well, I know Jesus saved me, but man, I'm such a screw up and I'm not worthy. And, and do you still beat yourself up or do you understand that what God did was he didn't just save you, but he delivered you, he healed you and he restored you and he placed you in a place of honor in the family again. Anybody looking at that, those clothes would not be even reticent of any of his history, any of his bad choices. They would just see and recognize that he is restored to the full rights and the full position back in that family. That's how much your God loves you. Why don't you just take a second right now to come on and let's just give him praise and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Thank you, Jesus, that you've restored me. This is what you've done to, I wear a robe of righteousness. I wear the best robe, not a robe, the best robe because of what Jesus did, amen. The second thing that the father does, watch this. He says, and put a ring on his hand. Put a ring on his hand. A ring wasn't a decorative item. It wasn't just, hey, uh, his hands are a little bare. Let's put some jewelry on there. The ring was the signet ring. It was the signet ring of the father, which meant a restoration, not just of righteousness, but a restoration of authority. That young man wearing the signet ring of his father could now go down to the equivalent of Costco, Home Depot, I'm building a house, uh, I need that timber, I need those tiles, I need that mortar, I need those bricks, and I'll put it all on my father's account and he could stamp. It's the equivalent of a black American Express card. He is, he is given the full authority again of 
the wealth in his father's house. The devil lies to you, my friend. He doesn't want you to believe that this is even in the gospel. But I want you to know Jesus didn't just save you just so that you can go to heaven. He saved you. He restored you. He put the best robe on you, but then he puts a signet ring. He gives us authority. The Bible says to as many as call upon him, he gave them the authority to become the sons and daughters of God. You and I, as sons and daughters of God, you need to understand the entire treasury of heaven is at your disposal. You are a son, you are a daughter of God. You have God's signet ring in the earth. You have access to the, the Bible says that if God will not withhold his only son, how much more will he give you all things that you may enjoy life? These idiots that we hear saying, you know, they're anti the prosperity, you know, anti blessing and all that, that you know, they elevate this, they, they are materialistic, do not be deceived. They actually have money issues. They, they operate in a Judas Iscariot spirit because what they do is they dishonor Jesus by saying, God will give you Jesus, but he won't give you a new car because a new car is worth a lot more than Jesus. Oh, he'll give you Jesus, but he won't give you a home because a home is worth a lot more than Jesus. I'm telling you, if God gave Jesus, he ain't got anything in heaven that is more precious or more priceless than Jesus. Everything, everything else, Rolls Royce, car, yacht, whatever, is so distant, second, third, four thousand and fifth compared to Jesus Christ. You need to understand that God restores authority, restores Adam lost authority in the garden when he, he succumbed to the deceptions of the serpent. Jesus crushed the serpent's head and rose again on the third day, conquering death, conquering hell. And now all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, says Jesus. And you and I are seated in Christ, which means that you and I in Christ are seated in a place with all authority. You don't have to put up with the devil attacking your home. You don't have to put up with generational curses. You don't have to put up with sickness and disease in your home. It's time that the sons and daughters of God understand that the Father has restored my authority. He's put a signet ring of authority. I am God's. The Bible says He has given us a name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus, that when we call upon His name, the Bible says that the, 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 the name of Jesus causes everything to bow. You and I, the name is the signet ring of God. And when you call upon the name of Jesus, you shall be saved. When you use the name of Jesus, you can cast out demons. Even the disciples came back saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. There's an authority that you have. You don't have to put up with sickness, disease, affliction, oppression, anxieties. You don't have to put up with that anymore. You don't have to put up with poverty and lack and struggle. You've been restored to authority. You can begin to take authority. What Adam lost in the garden, Jesus restored at Calvary. You have authority. Begin to take authority. What are you allowing in your home and what are you not letting flow in your home? Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth, heaven's going to back you up. We'll be bound in heaven. But whatever you loose, release on earth, heaven's going to back you up. It'll be released in heaven. You need to understand that Jesus was always repositioning you and I to be restored back to the authority that Adam lost. 
so that what you can release and you can bind. In the name of Jesus, I bind sickness. You know what? In the name of Jesus, I bind this poverty spirit and I release abundance and I release flow and I release healing over my family. I release freedom over my family. When was the last time you stepped up and began, began to use the authority that God gave you through Jesus Christ on the cross, that God restored to you to fight for your marriage, to fight for your family, to fight for your finances, to fight for your future. One of the saddest verses in the Bible, Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Hosea 4, verse 6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So many Christians do not understand what God has done. We're talking about family issues, and I'm telling you, you are part of the family of God. You are restored in the family of God. You can say, our Father who art in heaven, not, oh, oh, holy God, or our Father who art in heaven. Let's keep moving. The third thing that he does, after the ring on the finger and the robe of righteousness, he says, and let's put some sandals on his feet. You may say, well, that's nice, sandals on his feet. You know, he's probably walking barefooted could step on something sharp, cut his toe. No, no, no. Sandals on the feet. Sandals on the feet represent journey, represents destiny. Every place the sole of your foot shall tread, I've given you. To have authority, but not have territory. To have authority, but to not have destiny is a horrible thing. God will never give you authority, but nowhere to go. God will never give you authority, but nowhere to exercise it. God wants you to understand that what he also restores is purpose. That you have a purpose to, you've been made right with God. He's given you authority. That authority is meant to flow in the purposes of God. Putting sandals on his feet. Every place the sole of your foot shall tread, Abraham, I'm giving you. Every place the sole of your foot shall tread, Joshua, I'm giving you. Every place the sole of your foot shall tread, Moses, I'm giving you. God wants you to take territory. He wants you to walk with purpose. He wants you to walk with intention. He wants your eyes to see what he has for you, but your feet to walk in there. Isn't it interesting that Moses was to select 12 spies to go and spy out the land, which is a visual, which is a vision thing, but they were to walk in it. God even said to Abraham, walk back and forth to walk the land, walk the territory, every place I'm giving to you and to your descendants. You and I are meant to not just have a vision, not just a hope, oh, you know, I'd love to have a great marriage or I'd love to be financially secure. You and I, God wants to put sandals on our feet so that you walk with purpose, that you walk with intention, that you understand that I've got authority and God has given me vision and I can begin to walk in the vision of God. I can begin to minister. I can be a servant of God. I can be successful in the marketplace. I can do great things. I can have great things that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I'm blessed going in and I'm blessed coming out. I'm blessed in the city and I'm blessed in the country. God wants you to walk with intentionality. One of the saddest things today is we see so many people living aimlessly purposelessly. People don't know their purpose. They, they don't even know why they're here. And they sit around, it's because their identity has been stripped. Identity comes from the Father. Remember Jesus at the baptism and God coming uh, down as a dove and then a voice opens up from heaven and says, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. God was affirming Jesus. God was establishing the identity of Jesus as my son. The devil knows that whoever holds your 
Identity controls your destiny. That's why people that sex traffic children, they take all their identification away, their passports, licenses, anything that they may have, and they hold them, and they hold them over them because they know that whoever holds their identity controls their destiny. It's time for you to understand that God doesn't just save you and deliver you and restore you, but He puts authority back, but then He clothes you with destiny. He clothes your feet with purpose, with authority, with intentionality. You are meant to take ground. The day that you get saved, get ready. Whatever ground you lost to the devil, whatever ground you lost through poor choices, whatever money you lost from gambling or drug addiction or alcohol you better believe that now you've got sandals on your feet by the Father. You can begin to walk into taking all of that territory back, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It's time you discover your destiny. God wants to restore your identity. God wants to restore authority. And God wants to restore your destiny, your purpose. The last one, and this one sadly gets left out a lot of times, and I don't know why. But the Bible says that the father does one more thing. He says, after you've put the new robe on him, put the ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, the father says, and bring out the fatted calf and slaughter it that we may make merry. In other words, that we may party. You know, one of the saddest things that I see in church today is we have great preaching on righteousness. We have great preaching on authority and teaching on spiritual warfare and their demons. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against like demonic forces and we got authority of these things. And like we get all of that. And, and then, then, then we get, you know, God's got a destiny for you and God wants you, you know, you to take ground and God will soon crush the devil under your feet. And we have all of that. But it's almost like the church is afraid to teach this last point where he says, bring out the fatter calf that we may make merry. And I want you to know that the Bible says that God rejoices over you with singing. The word rejoice is also a similar word, celebrate. God celebrates you. I honestly believe that sometimes our healing, our salvation isn't complete until we find our family, until we find people that we can celebrate ourselves with. I think that we're incredibly poor when our birthday comes and goes and we have no one to celebrate with. And I think we're incredibly wealthy when our phone's blowing up and when we're invited or we walk in and surprise, and there's all these people taking a time. I want you to know today, your life is worth celebrating. You are worth celebrating. Jesus didn't just die so that you could go to heaven and have everlasting life or eternal life. Jesus didn't just die so you could have authority over the devil. Jesus didn't just die so you could have purpose and intentionality while you're here on earth. Jesus died so that he could restore your worth and, and make you understand that your life is worth celebrating. Your life is worth celebrating. You know, one of the hardest things for me because I had so much rejection growing up was receiving compliments, receiving affection, even receiving gifts. And I used to think it was, you know, a badge of humility. Oh, I just like giving to everybody else. And God said, actually, no, no. It's because you're still broken and you still have a really low opinion of Jürgen. When you're in that real quiet place with no one else around, there are parts of you that you despise and you don't like because the voice of, a, of uh, an abuser is louder than the voice of your heavenly father. And I began to realize that I needed to put those things aside 
and hear what God said about me. And I didn't want to believe. I'm like, God, no, I'm such a screw up. No, God, that's, that can't. But as I let God's word go in and begin to heal me, I got to tell you, I look, look forward to birthdays now. And it's sometimes still a struggle to receive things, but I've made a decision I want to receive them. In our church, in C3, you'll find that we have no problem celebrating. We have no problem partying. Sometimes we've had Yelp reviews. Oh, that C3 church, they're not even serious. They're the party people. They're having way too much fun to be saved. And if I was honest with you, I revel in those. I like that. That's a good thing because to me, it most closely resembles a Bible. I didn't grow up in church. So I didn't know how to be a churchian. I just got saved and so now I'm a Christian. And what I read in the Bible of God's values, that's what we're gonna have in our church. So can I just tell you, God wants to celebrate you. God wants to rejoice over you. God has restored you. He's given you vision. He's given you purpose. He's given you authority. He's given you a robe of righteousness. But you know more than that, if you're not in a connect group, you need to get in a connect group. Connect groups are everything because you're meant to do life with people. Weird Christians are Christians that do this Christianity thing on their own. Fulfilled, wonderful Christians are Christians who find their tribe, find their family, find their fit, find their community. You are worth rejoicing over. You are worth celebrating. You are worth throwing a party for. Finish on this. Jesus goes on to say, I tell you the truth. There's even more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just people who need no repentance. So even Jesus is telling us that in the presence of God and angels, that when one person comes back to God, heaven celebrates. God the Father celebrates, the angels celebrate. And didn't Jesus teach us that the entire intentionality behind the Lord's Prayer was they will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Isn't it interesting that it was the religious spirit that had the problem with the celebrating? When God, in the Bible says that they're rejoicing and celebrating in heaven, how much more should we be rejoicing and celebrating here on earth? You're worth celebrating. Come on, let me pray for you right now. Father, I thank you for this beautiful church and these beautiful people. I know today there are people sitting here watching this and they may have never heard the gospel like this. They may have never heard of your great love like this. I want you to know that Jesus died on a cross not to hold you account for your sins, but to wash away, to wipe out all the account, the ledger of every transgression and sin, everything that you've done wrong, Jesus has washed it away. And today he wants to clothe you in his robe of righteousness. I want you to know maybe you're sitting here today and you just feel powerless. You're like, well, I'm just grateful to be saved, but man, uh, life just keeps dealing me lemons. Well, I want you to know today God has restored you to authority. Maybe you're like, well, I've got authority, but I don't even know why I'm here. Well, God wants to give you purpose and destiny and help you to discover your identity. That's what we're all about here. That's why I want to encourage you, don't just be a Sunday church attender, become a disciple. But you know what? The last one, God wants you know, to know that your life is worth celebrating. And maybe you're sitting here and you're like, man, I've never heard that. I've never seen that. I don't have any friends get into a connect group, let us, let us become family and tribe to restore all of those things. But it all begins with you receiving Jesus. When you come to Christ, you join the biggest family in the world, 2.6 billion brothers and sisters right now and increasing right around the world. 
God the Father will come. And these four things, you're going to find that God the Father is going to begin to do in your life because they're His will for you. I'm going to just hand over right now to Pastor Vince and Becca. They're going to close out the meeting. And if you've raised your hand or if you've like, hey, that's what I need. I need to get my life right. They're going to give you an opportunity to do that. Then they're going to give you a Bible and a following Jesus book. And they're going to love on you and pray for you. I can't wait to be with you again. But uh, that's all I've got for today. So we love you. God bless you. Come on, Vince. Come on, Becca. Come and lead the meeting from here. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 Salt Lake City, go to C3SaltLakeCity.com.